Welcome to the Soul Service Podcast. I'm your host and soul-centric leadership coach, Anastasia Burtnick. If you are a spiritual seeker looking to learn, grow, and make deep and lasting change in your life, you are in the right place, my friend. I'll be serving you up juicy topics on soul work, relationships, purpose, power, and everything in between. Together, we are going to dive deep into our hearts and souls so you can live your best life ever. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Soul Service Podcast. So I have a special guest for you today. Um, it's She is a good friend of mine and just all around amazing person and coach and therapist, and I cannot wait for you to hear this episode. We go so deep into the struggles of codependency and being an empath and how those two relate together and how you can start healing yourself and moving through that. And there's also lots of laughs. So be prepared for a really great episode. I can't wait for you to hear it. Um, But let me officially introduce our guest. So our guest today is Vanessa Grace. And Vanessa is a licensed therapist, social worker, founder of Expand Joy, which is her mental health services, and founder of Soul Amplified, which is her coaching and courses business. And she is the host of the Soul Amplified podcast. Vanessa is an expert in overcoming codependency, the life experiences that create this pattern, and how trauma influences it all. Vanessa joins mental health, spiritual practices, life goals, and money and career intentions with this and mixes it all together to help women create the lives they really want for themselves. So without further ado, let's dive in. Hello, Vanessa. Welcome to the Soul Service Podcast. How are you doing today? I am good. Thanks for having me, Anastasia. Uh, It's a pleasure to have you. I'm so excited to do this interview today. (laughs) I know. Conversing with you is always like magic and we always have such a great time together. So this is going to be good. Yes, we absolutely do. And it is going to be (laughs) thebomb.com or better. (laughs) Better. It's going to be better. Definitely better. Guys, we tried to say that we weren't going to laugh right off the bat, but um, we failed and it's okay. (laughs) Sometimes you just have to start over when you fail. It's okay. Pick yourself up and try something new again. Yep. (laughs) And other times you're just like, F it. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And feel free to to F bomb away, except (laughs) sometimes sometimes I'm like, fuck. And other times I'm like, F. I know. Sometimes I like that too. It's like, why am I totally fine with like swearing all over the place? And then other times I'm like, I just hold back and I don't know why. And it's not like my mom's in the room. (laughs) I totally try and not swear in front of my mom. She's so sweet. I'm pretty sure that she like would be fine with it. Like, oh, her heart could handle it. But then like, she'd prefer if I wouldn't. (laughs) So I'm like, I'll just be nice to my mom and just not. That is fair. (laughs) Um, So 
Yeah. <laughs> I was going to tell you guys a story. I'm just going to tell you guys a really quick story before we start introducing Vanessa here. So actually, um, along the, along the F-bomb train, so you guys know I was in the military and when I got off of my basic training, like, so I was in the Navy and I legit though, I swore like a sailor. It was bad. Like every second word out of my mouth was like, fuck. And, <laughs> and my, my poor grandmother at the time, she was like, you need to stop that. That's not ladylike. And like, she was just horrified because it was, it was bad. Like it took me so much to stop swearing. I think that's why I say F now so much. Cause I'm like, Oh, F this <laughs> instead oh, of like so you trying to like roll it back from grandma. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so another weird thing about me with the swearing is like, I, I mean, if you've listened to my podcast or, you know, you might do that after this episode and you're going to find out how much I, can potentially swear. Um, like I didn't swear as a child or a teenager. Like I didn't start swearing until college. Interesting. I know. Like I just held it all in and just waited. <laughs> and then the floodgates opened. Pretty much. Pretty <laughs> much. That's what happened. So we already know one thing about you is you, you drop lots of F-bombs and we're okay with that. Yes. Um, so tell us more about you. Uh, who are you as a person? Let us know your journey uh, yes. in life and business and all the good stuff. Okay. So I am married to an awesome guy and we have cats who are fat and lay around and are super fuzzy named Einstein and Squeaks for the pet lovers out there. They are Amazing. brothers from the same litter um, and people can't tell them apart and it's super fun. And they're like, um, is that the same cat or is that a different one now? Anyway. Can so you tell them apart? I can tell them apart, yes. <laughs> there have been absolute failures, though, where my husband's like, which cat is that? And I'm like, I don't know. I have to wait for his face to move. Oh, that's who it is. <laughs> so we live in Vancouver, Washington, which is kind of unexpected. Not a place I ever thought I would live. Just, um, It's just another part of the state that I wasn't drawn to, but somehow we ended up here. Um, so you guys know that I am a life coach and a therapist, but before all of that, I was a social worker. That's actually what my training is in. And um, to link it back to the swearing that we were talking about, like working in my internship as a social worker for my bachelor's degree is I think really when I started swearing because I worked in a group home for teenagers and they can push all your buttons, even though I thought they were really fun. And I had this very long career working with teenagers after that. Like, I think working mm -hmm. with teenagers is officially what made me start swearing. <laughs> so then Youths. I had, I know I had a lot of, and I love them. So that's not anything against them. Like, and I had a long time in social work and slowly worked my way into therapy and starting my own private practice, which was something I had never even imagined doing mm -hmm. and then um, kept growing and learning. And that's when my spirituality opened up was while I was being um, kind of like the tail end of my social work career and the start of the therapy career, like mm -hmm. learning about intuition and being an empath and tarot cards um, and kind of just starting to broach into that and see how I felt about it and discovering this whole new world that I didn't really know existed. Um, I was raised in a Christian family and still am Christian, but like going into that was almost like having to defy 
my parents, even though they didn't know I was doing it. And so going into that was like, is it safe? Is it okay? Not like I thought anything awful was going to happen to me, but just like, um, just breaking down the interior walls that someone else had built. Mm. And so breaking those down can be such a process of like choosing for yourself what you believe. And interestingly enough, it hasn't really undone previous beliefs that I have. I feel like it supported them more. Mm-hmm. Like it, it helped explain things that I didn't feel like I could understand in Christianity. And so, but now I've got like this really unique combo belief system where I'm fine with both like the peaceful, loving version of Jesus and all of this spiritual stuff that usually doesn't go to go together, doesn't, woo, doesn't go together. But in me, it fits just fine and it makes sense to me. And so I love sharing about spirituality with people because I know how much it opened me up And then I really discovered how spirituality can take the mental health world even deeper Mm -hmm. um, than mental health can go. And so combining those together, I feel like is my superpower now, like combining all of my information about like depression and helping people heal from that and helping people heal from their traumas, um, helping people deal with codependency behaviors. Mm -hmm like combining all of that mental health knowledge and all the continuing education that I've been doing over the years um, to really help people know what's happening in them and why it's happening to them. And then bringing that in with the spirituality kind of takes it to a next level is what I really feel like. And that's why I love the coaching because I can combine both of them together in a way that's a little touch and go in mental health. Uh, if you're a licensed therapist to do that. So mm-hmm. the coaching gives me more freedom to do whatever the heck I want. And I, I'm kind of like that. I kind of like to do whatever the heck I want. <laughs> really? <laughs> wait, wait, I haven't sworn yet. I'm gonna do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So that's uh, my windy path to working online. <laughs> when I started working with teenagers in a, in a home who, well, that was just a whole crazy place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's always, there's always some drama happening there. Yeah. I can imagine. I remember being what I thought was a normal teen and so much drama. I can't even. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 <laughs> teenagers are so funny though. I just, I just roll with it and roll with them and it's because I'm not their parent. Yeah. That makes a big difference. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not their parent. I swear with them. I tell them the truth. I act like an idiot and don't care. And then they decide they can trust me. And then they tell me stuff that doesn't matter. And then they would tell me stuff that matters. That was literally my formula for working with teenagers. Everyone, you now know my secret of success. (laughs) (laughs) So we got teenagers at home. Now you know how to raise them. (laughs) Well, no, because... I'm kidding. (laughs) Now you know how to uh, get along with them if they're not yours. (laughs) Maybe like the teenager whisperer. That's funny. Yeah. So I really love how you have married all of these different parts of your life together with with Christianity and now spirituality and you haven't dropped one 
or the other. I love how you've just really brought those together. Um, and then really brought in the, the, the mental health world, the, the therapy world mixed with coaching and like just making it really well-rounded. Um, I know myself when I was going through therapy and everything, that is one thing that I was missing was like, was the spiritual foundation. Um, so I love that you, you're bringing that together in your coaching practice and you, you, you're just so multifaceted. Well, thank you. Yeah. Before I started doing the coaching and trying Mm -hmm. to purposely bring in spirituality, like intentionally, um, I would start getting clients in my therapy practice who would, after a few sessions of being with me, like Mm -hmm. somehow something would come out about crystals or, you know, they had heard about the law of attraction or, you know, like they would drop some spirituality term and I would be like, oh shit, they're into it. I can talk to them about it. (laughs) And like, we can use this to help them improve the parts we're working on. Mm -hmm. And it started to be like this theme, like I would always end up with clients who were open to that. And I wouldn't like present myself that way. And I'm like, the world, the universe is bringing them to me. We've been brought together by a greater purpose. Like they found a therapist in our town who is not like known for being a super spiritual town. It's just like every town USA, but yet they found a therapist who's open to that. That's amazing. Which is so rare. And so I really love that that was happening. And -hmm. it was like being reinforced that like, yes, you bringing this into the world is necessary. People do need a place to be able to open up about this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And not get like a weird look or at least be able to like, they could say the words that I would know what they were talking about because spirituality has like its own language. Mm, it really does. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you're not used to speaking it, there's so many terms and you're like, well, this may as well be Greek. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't Yeah. Know. I'm holding but. space for you. It means nothing to a trucker who is not spiritually enlightened. They're like, what are you talking about? You're like, you're going to hold my seat at the movie theater? Like what? She can't even talk right now. She's trying to say something and then she stops and it's happened three times. <laughs> oh, so I'm just, I'm just picking a, a picturing a trucker in my head being like, oh, I'm a trucker. I want to imagine him as like, I'm holding space for you. Here's a cardboard box. <laughs> no, no. In the spiritual way, he was holding space for you. <laughs> oh. I'm a trucker. I don't know better. <laughs> oh my God. If you're a spiritual trucker listening to this, like, sorry, we're razzing you right now. <laughs> no, because I know that you all can be spiritual. Anybody can be spiritual. No, I just randomly picked an, uh, a person who is presumed to not be a certain way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Vanessa, tell me, um, you, I know we've talked before and, and you consider yourself to be an empath. Yeah. So I'd like, can you talk more about your experience as an empath and how you've dealt with that in your, in the work you do? Yeah. So, um, in retrospect, I think that being an empath is part of why I am so good as a social worker and therapist, Mm -hmm. because I can tune in to what people are feeling. And I thought it was well, you are experiencing X, Y, and Z, and that often causes 
you know, ABC emotions and I can observe your face and body language and figure out what that means. Um, not knowing that maybe other people didn't have that ability. Mm. Um, and so I just assumed that it was just a skill that I had just like developed or I just knew about emotions at an early age. But in retrospect, I'm like, no, it's because you sometimes know the emotion because you're feeling the emotion. Mm -hmm. um, you sometimes know the emotion because you know emotions so well because of being an empath. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that being an empath is part of why I became codependent. Like there's all of the behavioral stuff as well that goes into that and like mm -hmm. life experiences. But I think being an empath makes you subjective to like, I can feel what you're feeling. Um, and so I have a lot of compassion for that situation. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that I wanted to fix other people to stop feeling their feelings, but I just didn't want them to be in pain and kind of felt responsible for it on some level, which is not cool dudes, don't do that. Like that's why I teach not do that now, but. <laughs> Yeah, and so I think that being an empath has made me so good with people. And so when I figured out how to set the boundaries and not feel responsible for others, that only like bolstered my ability to be helpful because now the self-care was better. So when you're an empath, it's kind of like having superpowers, but first you have to deal with the problematic part of being an empath, which is you don't know you are one, you can kind of get like, feel like you're being run over by a truck. Yeah. Like with whatever experiences you're having with feeling so many things and not knowing where it's coming from. So you first have to build up understanding your specific type of empath because there's so many different types mm -hmm. um, and get that squared away. And then you can start using the superpowers of being an empath in a healthy way, but only doing it when you have the energy to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, I mean, that's why I try and routine my life the way that I do in terms of like doing my best to have morning time for myself and making sure that I'm, you know, walking, fueling, hydrating, like taking little breaks throughout the day. And I used to push myself really hard. There was this one job that I had. For like three-ish years, I worked for Head Start as a social worker. For those of you who don't know, in the United States, Head Start is a federally funded program for low-income families to provide childcare, and it was a bunch of wraparound stuff, and they would have social workers. And there's all these like regulations that you have to follow and things you have to do in all parts of the program. Mm -hmm. And I was always pushing myself to get it all done. Every year at the same time, I would get sick because I was pushing myself too much. And over time I figured out that, wow, the world doesn't fall apart if I don't push myself. And so I can actually take it easy. I can call in sick. The world will not end. It's okay if you don't meet your deadline. Other people don't meet their deadlines. What are they gonna do? Take away the money and send all the kids home? You know? <laughs> yeah. It wasn't like, the people that had the grant, which was the community college, were going to lose the grant because I missed a day of work. You know, you got to like be realistic with yourself. Anyway, and so it was setting boundaries so that I had enough energy for myself. Mm. It wasn't always giving everywhere so that I could actually 
reap the benefits of the superpowers of being an empath. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Boundaries are so important. And I think so many people, especially if you are, if you're driven and you're on this spiritual journey, you just ooze boundaries. Like you're oozing out of your boundaries everywhere and you fall into those traps of people pleasing and perfectionism and pushing and pushing. Mm -hmm. And it's something that is so hard to heal because so much of your identity is like tied into that. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So for people listening, um, because we might have some new listeners on the podcast, what is an empath? Yes. So an empath is a person that can feel the feels without knowing why they're feeling the feels. And that can be emotions from other people. And I know more about that one because that's what I experience. But they might be able to understand animals very easily and know what animals need without knowing why. And that would basically be a precursor to like communicating with animals. Some people can feel um, what's happening with the earth and the universe and planets moving and just kind of the energy that is happening in the world. Some people can feel plants. Some people um, kind of just know what the plants need. And those people have like the most amazing gardens. They might not know they're an empath, but they're like, no, this plant just needs water or they want to be moved over there. And they might talk about it in ways as if the plant was alive and can communicate with you. And if you don't believe in energy or that plants have thoughts and emotions and opinions, like that might seem really weird to you. Or it might seem really cute and you just think it's, oh, that's a cute thing, but maybe that person's an empath. And there's all these signs that you can look for in yourself. And they, they often include feeling overwhelmed mm-hmm. or like in crowds or in places. Like if you go into a forest and you suddenly feel very busy, well, maybe you can communicate with plants or animals. Or if you have days where you feel overwhelmed, well, lo and behold, that was a full moon, or that was the day that the Earth's resonance, what is the Schumer number that the Earth resonates at or something? I'm getting the name wrong. But um, there's some sort of resonance that the Earth has a frequency, and they could like measure it as scientists. But on the days that that number is higher, like if you're an empath, you could feel really, really sluggish and slow and not know why. Um, it's very fascinating. I learned about it from Alex Miles, who is on Facebook and Instagram. So sometimes she'll talk about it if you want to learn more. I'm pretty sure I botched what it's called, but just go follow her and you'll find it. Um, yeah, I like her stuff. She always is putting stuff out about astrology and what's happening with planets and stuff. So there's just so many, um, like feeling overwhelmed or knowing information without having facts to back it up. Like it just comes to you and you're like, I know this is right. And this is what needs to happen. It's like having a natural talent and people look at you and you're like, but how do you do that? And you're like, I don't know. I just can. Which is, you know, like (laughs) she's a witch. Like white people were getting like, I don't, I can't prove it to you. It just is. (laughs) Oh my God. Story of my life. (laughs) Yeah. And if you um, are really new to the concept of an empath and really want to get into it even deeper, there is a woman named Judith Orloff who has written several books on being an empath. 
because she is one and she's some sort of doctor who only works with people who are empaths to help them. And she's the person that I have read her books and tried to learn from her. So you could, you know, check her out and learn a ton and be like, holy crap. Mm-hmm. There's um in her, uh, it's the empath survival guide. I think it's what it's called. Mm-hmm. She has um, checklists that you can go through and you can be, and it'll go through each type of empath and you can be like, yes, no, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Oh, there. And there's the book. You can't see it it right in front of me. I mean, we're on video, but I'm going to have the empath book with me while I talk to her. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah. You want um, me to read out what the empath types are that she lists off in here? uh, No, we'll just leave it. You guys can go do your own research. Cool. buy a book. It's good for you. Yep. <laughs> um, but the, that is a good resource and I'll make sure it's uh, linked in the show notes because you can go and you can see for yourself, like what type of, what types of empaths there are. Um, and if like, there's ones gonna, that you are going to resonate with more than others. Um, and some of you might be all of them. Some of you might be none of them and you, it might be another gift that you're picking up. So mm-hmm definitely explore that. But that was a really great explanation, um, Vanessa. And I even learned some things that I didn't know. So thank you. Oh, well, you're welcome. Sometimes (laughs) I'm like, I don't know enough about things. I have to learn more. I feel like I have to be an expert in things before I know anything in it, which is such a weird perfectionistic thing about myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a perfectionist. (laughs) Yep, me too. Yeah. I'm like, I know nothing. And then you ask me a question. I'm like, I know everything. Like an hour later, she's downloaded her brain and she's like, yeah, but it's not very much because so-and-so knows so much more than me. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's me. (laughs) Me too. And that is something that's uh, been a big lesson to have to overcome. (laughs) Yeah. I think I'm in the middle of working on that lesson about perfectionism. I think the the lesson never stops. (laughs) Shh, don't tell me that. I mean, I know it, but I don't want to be faced with it. Sorry to burst your bubble. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> you can't see me, but I'm poking her bubble right now. Yeah, she's which, totally, she's poking my bubble. Which sounds really weird. <laughs> oh, okay. <clears throat> <laughs> oh, guys, we have the dirtiest minds. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, just happens. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, now with being an empath, how does, actually, before I ask this question, for those who don't know exactly what codependency is, because I think most of us have an idea, but can you explain that to us? Yes. Codependency is a pattern of behavior that is first and foremost a survival skill, but the survival skill isn't a healthy one. Mm -hmm. Um, And so codependency usually involves behaviors like people-pleasing, enabling others, being a super helper, and like being the one, the first one to volunteer to help, and like excitedly showing up, and someone's like, I can always count on you, or always picking up the phone when the friend calls, who is always the one that has drama. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank God you answered. You're always willing to listen to me. Um, and, but underneath that is 
like a series of issues that actually cause that behavior and they can include like self-worth issues or feeling like you have to prove your worth like i don't deserve to be here and so i'm going to keep giving to earn my keep just for mm -hmm. existing yeah um and all of that comes from some form of issue happening in how you were raised where you would have to deny yourself to exist in the world that you were in. So maybe that meant I have to deny my needs and take care of my parents because they're not doing everything parents should do. Mm -hmm. um, or it's maybe the parents are doing all the things they're supposed to be doing in terms of like going to work, feeding the kids, like they've got all of the surface level stuff dialed in, but they haven't done anything to work on their own trauma history. And so they, they don't process their own emotions. Mm -hmm. They don't acknowledge their own emotions. They get super sad. They get super mad. Like, and they, they're, they're not apologizing. They're not like working it out later, all of that kind of stuff that can happen. And so then the kids and that family end up maybe managing the emotions that are just like, it's like the emotions are just floating around in the house and no one knows what to do with them. And so the kids end up trying to deal with them or they try and deny how they're feeling mm -hmm. um, because everyone's denying how everyone's feeling. So to survive here, I better not talk about what I'm feeling because no one else can handle it. And so all of, I mean, I could just go on and on and on with the ways in which codependency can be developed. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's a good baseline. Yeah. Because it doesn't have to mean super intense, awful trauma, bad things happen. Mm -hmm. It could just, you know, like lots of people don't deal with their stuff and then have kids. <laughs> it's like, like most people. It's like a huge population, you know? And so some of those kids can end up being codependent adults who still are trying to pick up the pieces everywhere they go because that's the role they've been playing. And it's pretty damaging to a person's life um, because it's such like a, it's such a deep seated pattern that you wouldn't notice the connection. Yeah. It's like, I keep abandoning myself to take care of somebody else is, would be a description of it. But on uh, like a surface level, it would look like, oh, well, of course I'm going to cancel my appointment to go pick up my friend whose car died. But then that happens in a thousand different versions of that. And you end up messing up your own life in small ways or getting exhausted or tired because you're always saving a friend who's in a, a pinch. Yeah. You know, yeah. it ends up becoming a problem where you didn't progress in your life because you were so busy saving everyone else so that they could progress in theirs. Oh, yep. Yeah. This is, this is bringing up like so many things in my mind right now. <laughs> okay. I didn't mean to poke you while I was sharing all of this, but I guess I'm poking you back revenge, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is, I know that this is something that I've dealt with in my own life and it was especially relating to my mom. Um, cause for me, she used to dump all her emotions on me cause my dad wasn't around. So I was mm -hmm. like a pseudo partner and then Boy, the older I got, the worse, the worse it got because yeah. I started taking care of her financially and doing a whole bunch of other things. And mm -hmm. like, it wasn't a normal relationship. Like the normal people were like, what are you doing? And I'm like, it's my mom. I love her. Oh. I'm doing all the things I've always done. What are you talking about? 
yeah, it's not normal to take out like $60,000 worth of loans to help you. <laughs> They're like, no. And you're like, oh, yeah. Too, too late now. <laughs> oh, crap. I have a lot of healing to do, which you have done. Yes. Yeah. This is, this is old stuff that I'm talking about, but yeah. it's, it's interesting because as you're, as you're talking, um, I'm actually seeing the patterns that like, she's still living in her life, um, that she yeah. has, has not healed. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting how that, like, it's not, it's not just with one person. It like branches out. And if mm-hmm. your parents haven't dealt with their stuff, chances are they're all, they might also have codependent traits mm-hmm. and, and things. Yep. So. yep, exactly. An analogy that I learned and also like to share with others because it's so helpful is like the image of two people holding onto a rope and one person is holding one end and one person is holding the other end. Maybe it's just like, two or three feet long of a rope and they're just walking around holding this rope. Like I'm going to be codependent with you. And then you're not going to have to do the things that adults do to live. Mm -hmm. And so then you can continue to not fully function as an adult. And both of us are so used to this pattern. It's invisible to us, but we complain about surface level aspects of it, but then can't face how we're part of continuing to make it happen. And so the person who doesn't want to do all the adult stuff and maybe wander around with their rope, slinging it at people like, oh, can you save me from this? Oh, can you save me from that? And like say victimy things or blame other people. It's not mm-hmm. my problem. I tried my hardest. And then when someone grabs it and it's like, oh my God, your story is so sad. I will help you. Um, Oh, I can't believe that they did that to you. I have so much compassion for you. I will help you. And then that's a codependent action to pick it up. Um, I mean, you could recognize it and then drop it again and be like, oh, hot potato, never mind. Um, But that's actually really funny because I have described this so many times I can't count that high and I've never said that before. Hot potato. Anyway, so you can keep holding on to it and and then stay in that relationship and it doesn't have to be romantic it could be a friend or a family member or whoever it could be business related at work it could be with a coworker. there's so many ways codependency can exist and so then you're walking around like well you don't have to do a lot because i'm going to do it for you because my role is to help and that is how i have worth and so in fact i need to have a person to help or i don't know who i am mm-hmm. yeah Cause it's yeah. the only role I've ever had. And there's just, a, that's not the only way to identify with that rope analogy and codependency. There's just, you know, probably a thousand versions of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that need to be needed is like hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I experienced that a lot, especially going through the military and in the cadet program. Cause not only was I a perfectionist and an overachiever, but um, I needed to be needed. And anytime I wasn't needed, it actually like freaked me out. It was, it was awful. And I would like push people until I was needed again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I fully believe that that's why I was drawn to social work and why I was so successful at it. I was a really good social worker. 
you know, I would go the extra mile. I would show up for people. One of my little stories that I'll fall back on with that is I was working with teenagers, <gasps> shocker. And um, there's this kid that I was going to help get into an educational program. Mm -hmm. Its name is escaping me right now. Anyway, he was going to come to the school, meet me at the school, and then we were going to drive together to the location to do like their weekly info thing. They had an info thing every week and anybody who was interested could show up. So it wasn't like we had an appointment and someone was waiting for us. He didn't show up five times. And I kept being like, well, he says he wants to show up. And then he has a reason why he couldn't. It's not like he has a car to drive himself there. His family doesn't have reliable transportation. Um, like there's a lot of people that live there. There's not enough cars for everybody. Like, well, that's totally believable. And so I'd believe his words rather than his actions. Mm -hmm. And I ended up consulting with one of the other therapists on the team. And I was like, yeah, it's been like five times and he hasn't shown up. And he was like, Vanessa, he doesn't want to do it. Why are you still showing up? And I was like, but he said, so he's like, no, don't try anymore. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like I didn't get it. And mm -hmm. but I stopped because I was like, I don't understand. He said he wanted to. And that's a perfect example of being codependent. And I was doing it with my client. Mm, yeah just like that a thousand times for 15 years in social work <laughs> yeah yeah and then of course you get accolades for being successful and oh you make so much progress with your clients mm -hmm. they do so good I think that's one of the hard things about codependency is that we get rewarded for it in so yes. many ways yes and like it's hard to escape that reward pattern and, and find a new way to healthily receive rewards that are not related to codependent behaviors. Yes. So what's interesting for me is in my realization with work stuff mm -hmm. is that because I was helping them so much, I was making the breakthroughs for them. And I was getting I was getting um, internal emotional feelings of success when they would succeed um, mm. because I felt like their progress reflected on me, but that's a bunch of bullshit. And so when I would, when I started holding my clients accountable and not feeling like I had any right to their success and I could celebrate within myself that I succeeded because they succeeded when I removed that. And it was like, then I started expecting them to do the work. Then they would actually have real breakthroughs rather than just like, oh, they accomplished this. But really in the background, Vanessa did a lot of the legwork for it. So of course they got there. Yeah. Um, but now like if they actually do the work, they have a real breakthrough and then I can just be happy for them. And then they've actually changed their life now because they did the work. And that's way more longitudinal than me having my worth as a social worker or as a person or in some weird twisted gross way like all tangled up like an octopus with um their their success mm -hmm. you know like if i make you succeed then i'm good yeah oh i i've definitely felt that when i started coaching and that's hard when you're when you're even with like i when i'm doing energy healing there's there's a little voice in my head every so often that's like I just want them to heal and do all the good things. And like you put so much of yourself onto it. And then if, if they have a bad outcome or like they don't have this breakthrough, then you're like, well, then I'm bad. So. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Yeah. 
you know, and I did not come to this place lightly. Like I've been doing work with other humans like since 2001. That's mm-hmm. when I got my bachelor's degree. But you know, you're doing a practicum. So like it's been 20 years basically. Yeah. So yeah, that's a lot of working with people and learning how to undo, <laughs> undo what you shouldn't be doing. And it's not like I'm perfect, you know, stuff still happens. So you have mm-hmm. a day, you get tied in and you're like, oh wait, I shouldn't, I, I remember this feeling. You don't need to feel like you just won. Like you can be happy for them and excited because yeah. you were with them along the journey. Like you can celebrate, but it doesn't mean that it's yours. <laughs> yeah. You didn't have to overcome that trauma. You just kept showing them how to do it. And then they finally did. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're looking at bringing in more feelings of success for yourself without being attached to the outcome of somebody else, um, whether it's in, in business or in relationships, how, like, what are some of the things that you can do to celebrate yourself more instead of being so tied into other people? Well, I think you have to recognize your own successes and not only look for them externally. Um, If you're only looking for other people's successes to glom onto you, do you question if you have something worth celebrating? And so working really hard to find whatever that is, and that sounds like a self-worth issue, like everything that I produce is shit, you know, if that's a feeling maybe it's a different sentence for you but if there's a feeling of that then that's actually where you need to start to try and find anything that you have done or created or who you just are as a person just because you exist as a soul that's worthwhile and that could be i successfully watered all my plants today that's actually a good thing because i care about my plants so i help them but it i needed to do it because i own the plants (laughs) Yeah. I love that. However simple it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you think of success, what is your definition of success? Cause I, I know that society puts so much on, on money and social status. So when you're looking at success, what, what does it mean to you? is such a good question because part of my success definitely still includes that world stuff like mm-hmm. i definitely have a financial status that i want to be at um more because i have a lot of belief systems around money and energy which is a whole mm-hmm. other podcast but um i've always really loved large houses like mm-hmm. My first floor plan that I made was like a bunch of shells and rocks together. And then I took my parents' camera before it was on a phone and digital. Like I actually have a film, you know, like printed out photo of like a floor plan that I made with rocks and shells. And I literally have no fucking idea what the hell I thought it was. But I remember bringing my mom over to it and pointing it out to her. Like, this is this room and this is this room. And I like understood what it all was. So forever I've wanted a huge home. And I know that's way off from your success answer, but that's how my brain works. Um, so there, there is a financial goal so that I can finally achieve my lifelong dream of owning a huge house. Mm-hmm. So there's that, but it's a feeling and the space 
of having a large amount of space. And I love being with people and I love being with the people that I love and be able to just relax with them. And so being in that beautiful space and being with all the people that I love in that space at parties or events mm -hmm. and being able to create experiences that we can all enjoy together, like that, all of that feels good to me. And that's why there's a financial goal. So yeah. the finances really just fund that experience. So success to me is creating what makes you happy. I love that. And so for other people, that might not include a dream home with a lot of people around it. For you, that could be a cabin in the forest. It could be being a digital nomad where you get to travel everywhere and everything fits in like a backpack. It's whatever it is for you. That's success. It doesn't have to be what westernized America believes, which is really fucking exhausting for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't want that life. It's a very masculine energy driven life with not enough feminine flow to calm the fuck down and chillax. Yeah. And some people just are like, I just want to chillax all the time. Okay, go chillax all the time. Find a way, find a creative way to fund it. And then like do it and maybe you don't need a lot to fund it because chillax is sometimes really cheap <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah so i would always have people and fun quirky things yeah that's, that's perfect yeah. um i i love how you broke it down I, really when it comes down to it you said what makes you happy so i think if we if we start focusing on that more and look at our successes as what is making us happy, we can really let go of the attachment to some of the external things. And, and, and some of the things in society, like you were saying, like you, there is a financial status that you want to reach and you, and you want a large home. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think that so many of us, we get caught up in all of those external factors that we forget that there's so many other things along the way that make us successful that are not necessarily yeah. monetary or um like status related yeah i feel like people start the script of what they're supposed to do without double checking that they gave a fuck about the checklist mm. yeah they're like well, i'm supposed to go to college and then i'm supposed to get married and then i'm supposed to buy a house and get a dog all in the same year like there's people who get married like the week they graduated from college if you want that, that's exactly what you should do. If you're doing it because that's a script that somebody gave you and it was just like, well, that's just what's expected. Like you got to question that even though it rocks the boat mm -hmm. because you're going to wake up in 20 years and be like, why am I not happy? I followed the script because it wasn't your script. Mic drop. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Silence. I, and again, that relates back to codependency of doing things to make other people happy. I mean, I've worked with people who have had entire careers in fields that they do not care about because it was expected of them 40 years ago. Yep. You know, the people that told them to do that are in nursing homes. Yeah. It's, and it's so crazy. that's profound and you don't have to have that be your life. 
but it takes a lot of bravery to push back against the agenda because you don't know if the people telling you the agenda, what they're going to do. Sometimes they're like, oh, I didn't know you felt that way. That's fine. And that's healthy, you know, but if they want you to be a certain way and freak out, like they have an agenda for you and it's not really about what you want. It's about potentially what they think you should be doing, which is a whole other thing. And I got a lot of issues with that. Yeah. I get all riled up. I'm like, <laughs> no, let them be themselves. That's, that's such a hard lesson to learn. Um, that's, that's a lesson that I, I learned in my own life is how to, how to go against the script and actually be myself. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't I, my own person for mm-hmm. pretty much, I don't know, the first 22 years of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I was everything that I was expected to be. And like everything my mom told me to be, everything my dad told me to be, like whatever I was told to be is what I was. And anything outside of that was bad, no good, wasn't mm. allowed to explore it. Like mm-hmm. so breaking free of that pattern was was hard. And I went through this like huge grieving process of letting go of what that like expected identity was and then allowing myself to find who I actually am. Mm-hmm. And then, oh man. And that in-between zone of giving up and grieving the past or who you thought you were and all that stuff. And then before you get to who you're going to be and who you actually are, that in-between zone is scary as fuck because it's like, there's no wind blowing and like the sails are up up, and you're like ready to go. And you're like, where's the wind to take me there? It feels like empty and damp in here. What is happening? Yep. Will anything show up to help me know who I am? You're like looking around for the light and it's like darkness. And you're like, fuck. (laughs) Yeah. But then the light shows up and you figure it out. But in the moment you're like, how long will this last? Kind of like Gollum. I know. (laughs) So it feels really awful in the middle, but that's really normal. Yeah. And, and honestly, there's so many layers to that too, because even once you start figuring out who you are, then you're going to like probably go through another grieving process because you're who you thought you were becoming is not actually you yet. (laughs) Yeah. It's just parts. It's just parts. Yeah. It, then it happens a bunch more times, but you've, because you've been through like the big one where you ripped the bandaid off, then you're like, oh, I've been here before. I remember. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, then it stops being as scary and you just like get a meditation cushion in the darkness and just chill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And light yourself a candle because you learned about self-care. Self-care always equals candles. <laughs> I literally, you already know this, but. The people listening don't. I did light a candle before this, and it is my empath candle. Empath, grounding, and protection candle. So yeah, I literally have a candle there right now. Which is amazing. (laughs) Yes. So when it comes to being an empath and codependency, how can you start like navigating that and like, under, like understanding how to move through it. Like, what do you thing. do? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> mm-hmm. So depending on which one you discover first, are you an empath or are you codependent is kind of like the answer to that. You start working on whichever one you realize first. 
Um, so one, what do I want? That's the answer for the codependent. What do mm -hmm. I want? What do I, actually the first question is what do I not want? Mm -hmm. um, because then you figure out what you don't want that you're currently experiencing. And then you're like, well, what do I want instead? And that might take a while. And then, and that might be, I don't want my boyfriend to act like a dickhead. Okay, so then you go through, well, what, what is he doing that's being a dickhead? Well, he never calls me back and he's talking to other girls. Okay, so you don't want that. So what do you want instead? I want a boyfriend who will communicate with me and doesn't need to talk to other girls. But if you're doing that, then you're also triggering an issue within you. So he should be able to talk to other girls as long as he's being faithful and isn't like being creepy about it. So there's like, you got to start figuring out what you, what, what do you not want? What do you want instead? And then start going after what you want and setting the boundaries mm -hmm. and like put a fence around it and people aren't allowed to attack it and take it away from you. So set the boundary that I'm going to have this. And if you call me having an issue, but I'm going to work on the thing and the fence, you don't get to take my time in this moment. I can help you in three hours when I'm done with this thing. And if you need help sooner than three hours, you're going to have to call somebody else because I'm working on the thing that I've put, I'm working on the thing that I've put a fence around. Mm. So that's kind of like a starter kit for codependency. And then for empath stuff, the first question, is this my feeling or is this somebody else's? Is this my thought or is it coming from, you know, a spirit who's talking to me? Is it coming from a frequency that's happening in the earth? Is it coming from a feeling that's happening in the cosmos? Mm -hmm. um, like all the different ways that other things and other energies can come to, into us. So almost, I guess what I'm getting at is, is this my energy that I'm feeling or is this somebody else's energy? And so that might mean getting used to knowing what your true energy is. What do you actually feel like? Which involves going within and like just doing mindfulness with your body. Mm -hmm. Like what are the emotions? What, what does my body feel like? And some people don't know how to do that. We're so fast that we literally have, there's a lady I worked with who's an acupuncturist. She did acupuncture work on me. She would talk about how people were moving so fast. They would run around with their skins flapping behind them. And they were just like running around. And I would imagine like a cartoon skin flapping behind someone to make it sound funnier because it does look gross if you think about it with a real human. So just imagine a cartoon, everyone quick, do it. It's funnier that way. But it is a real thing because I can still see myself doing that sometimes, even though I've done all this attention to myself. And so going into your body and noticing what's happening there to just be with it is going to help you figure out, is this my energy or is this coming from another place? Um, to know where you end and something else begins. Um, and you have to know that first before you can get to like the super higher levels of spirituality that are like everything's connected. You have to do this one first and know how you're separate to then know how everything's connected. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what are some of the biggest struggles that empaths have while, while they're in a codependent relationship? They become fused with the other person and think that the other person's behaviors are about them and think that the other person's emotions are actually their emotions. 
and cannot imagine um, not doing for them because they don't feel like they have an identity outside of that person. Well, of course I would do blah, blah, blah for them. Like that's what they need. Well, what do you want? Well, why does it matter what I want? And they can like, might actually get mad at you for asking, what do you want? There's, there, there's just a level of fusion in that version of codependency where it's, it's one person, not two. Mm, yeah. And then there can become like this, you're not allowed to have a thought that's different from my thought. You're not allowed to have an opinion that is different from my opinion. And if your opinion or thought or feeling is different from mine, you have abandoned me and no longer love me. And now I'm going to punish you. And that is going down this really like heavy, dark path. And it's not always that intense. It could be milder than that, but that's mm -hmm. where it can go. Fusion can be like so intense. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there. <laughs> like, stop describing my life. <laughs> I knew this was going to describe most of my life. <laughs> so, and that is because you have done your work. Because you know what you know what it is. You know what's there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, if somebody wants to start protecting themselves more as an empath who is also codependent, now you mentioned boundaries earlier. But what mm -hmm. are some of the other tools that they can use to start separating themselves um, and like protecting their energy? Because that's the biggest thing with empaths is we need to learn how to protect our energy. Um, so you, you put some like really great questions earlier that um, people can refer back to, but what else can they do? I always teach people like to put up their force field, basically to put up their energetic force field and imagine a bubble around them, which is essentially the aura becoming stronger. Um, but I have people list like, what's the color? What, what combination of colors? What are the properties of it? What is it made of? How far away or close is it from your body? Um, give it instructions like mm -hmm. only positive emotions can come in here or this person's opinions aren't allowed to infiltrate me and pierce my heart like whatever the instructions are that you need to give it and then train yourself that whenever you're feeling super intense, you can just think force field and boom, it's there. Or you get in a habit of putting it on every morning and then noticing how do, how do I feel with it? How do I feel without it? Mm. And the force field isn't trying to be a wall to keep other people out of your life. It's trying to keep things out of you that aren't you so that you can finally listen to your own self, not just like audibly, but I mean like doing that mindful stuff I was talking about. So the, yeah. I think the force field is really important. And I think getting crystals to grid like your office or grid your bedroom or grid your home, like the, the land or the apartment or whatever, so that um, people can't come in your room or in your office or on your land like without your permission like i have gridded the property of my house and my home and just kind of occasionally do like a little prayer ritual with my guides to like reinforce it because i live backed up against a park that's right on a trail and so i know mm -hmm. that people cut through my yard at night and it doesn't freak me out i know some of you listening are like oh my god what but it doesn't freak me out but because i've set the protection only people who have good intentions can be on my land. 
-hmm. And I believe that and know that. And so that's the intention that I've set. And sometimes I'll put the boundary up again, kind of like in the Harry Potter movies with the, the final scene at the end where they're like putting the protections up around Hogwarts. Like I kind of imagine that with my own bubble and make it super, super big and ask my guides to help me to make it cover my whole property, like a gargantuan bubble and okay, you know, I'm saying it again, only people who are of the light, who have good intentions can come here. Sometimes if life is feeling a little hairy, I'm like only people who are invited who have good intentions can come here or they're delivering food to us. Like, Everyone else has to stay away right now. <laughs> and so those are just some things that you can do to create a feeling of protection and distance and safety to give you a chance to just have your safety zone to feel yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I use black tourmaline stones and then I don't remember what they're called. There's these little white chip corner like ones. They're probably some sort of quartz. But if you talk to a person who specializes in crystal, they'll probably know exactly what you need. Just tell them that you want to grid a space for protection. Nice. Or if they really know what they're talking about, like the guy in my town does at the local magic potion store. I don't remember what it's called. That's what I call it, though. You can just go in and like tell them what you want to do when they're like, you need this stone. Or I'm just going to just read my aura and tell me what I need. <laughs> they'll do that. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. I also very much appreciate all of the Harry Potter references. Oh, yes. <laughs> we, we have been to Harry Potter land in Florida. I'm so jealous. But before they added the London and the train and all that, it was a while ago. Mm. Is, yes. is Florida the one also with like the Diagon Alley and stuff? Or is that a different one? Yes. Okay. I don't no, know the, that's the one that has Diagon Alley. Okay. I don't know the difference between Disneyland and Disney World. I know nothing. It's not in either of those places. It's at Universal oh. Studios. Oh. So yeah. that's not the same place. That's okay. <laughs> no, Harry Potter is at Universal Studios in Florida. And that's the big one where they have like kind of two places that are, se- that are separate but connected by the train. And then I think the one in California, the Universal Studios there, has um, just like the smaller version. Just like one, it's like a replication of one area of the Harry Potter land in Florida. Okay. I hope that made sense. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes, it made sense. <laughs> but I'm, I'm still like, how, are, how is dad not Disney? <laughs> We're not going to Potter. Harry Potter is not with Disney. Oh, I honestly thought they were just all like in the same place. I knew there was like two places. They're they're all in the same town of Orlando, Florida. There's like a gajillion lands. There's like Disney World is in Orlando. Some of you don't care about this. Sorry, it's happening. Um, Universal Studios is happening. There's like some sort of gargantuan sea world situation and then because people come to all of those like other lands have popped up there um and i don't even know what those are because that's on the other side of the nation for me but and we did not oh i might get myself in trouble we didn't go to disney world when we were there we were there for a wedding and we only went to harry potter land and then took a cursory wander around universal studios 
and almost didn't care about the rest of it. We were like, we're here for Harry Potter and Butterbeer. No, I, I feel that. I would yeah. totally do the same thing. Cause yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that they're the same place. And if I like understand what you're saying, it sounds like they're like adjacent locations, but if I'm well, wrong, it's not like you fine. can walk between the two. They're far apart. You have to like, okay. I, stuff. I still don't get it. That's okay. <laughs> Oh my God. But yeah, I totally feel you. I would um, 100% go to Harry Potter world and like not care about anything else because Harry yeah. Potter's the best. I know. Yeah. Oh. So speaking of Harry Potter, which leads us back into witchcraft and magic and spirituality. Yes. <laughs> All ties in guys. Um, mm-hmm. So how has building that spiritual connection and foundation helped you and helped your clients heal from codependency? It helps me understand the universe in a new way um, in terms of like I've come to believe and I know not everyone believes this who's into spirituality but I came to believe that we all exist before we come to earth as souls. Like I already believed that, but I didn't have a lot of opinions about what happened there. Mm -hmm. But now I understand and I believe that people make agreements with each other of what kind of lessons they're going to teach each other and how they're going to support each other Mm -hmm. and have relationships here on earth, either romantic or friendship or be related and be family. And sometimes there's an agreement made between people that they're going to help each other heal codependency or some form of a pattern. And so someone might treat you like shit because they agreed to do that to help you heal it in yourself, mm. <laughs> which I, is like the most basic way of describing like a lot of awful things that happen. Yeah. But I know yeah. that if I hadn't had like a moment of like, holy shit, why is this happening to me? Um, I would have never actually faced it and understood a thousand things about my childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it, it wouldn't, it, it would still be happening, you know, and in my next lifetime, it would still be happening. So I'm like, cool, this person did this for me. Now I understand because it was to the breaking point, And so now I get it because I had, I had to face it or it was going to crumble me, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I went, I went through a very similar thing. And I I think that it's so important that as we're, we're doing this journey and all of this healing work that we get to the point where we can look back and actually be thankful for everything that happened because it made us who we are and it, it brought us onto our path. Um, Mm -hmm. And I like, they always say hindsight's 2020 and Oh, like some people would say, Oh, I regret that. I would go change that. But I know for myself, having the the spiritual connection that I do now and the knowledge that I do, I wouldn't actually change anything because I honestly don't know that I would be sitting here today, even having this conversation, if I had the ability to go back and change things. So mm-hmm. I just yeah. am able to sit in that gratitude. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, but you have to really have made it through a significant layer of whatever thing you're working on healing right now 
and be out the other side and have like a good space of distance between you and that icky thing. Yeah. And that space needs to be filled with goodness and flowers and all the things that make you happy to look back and go, I'm only in this field of flowers because I went through that and I love being here. And I didn't know how asleep I actually was. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yeah. I thought life was fine back then. And now it's even better. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think it's important to remember too, that we're going to experience periods where we get into that field of flowers and then there's another lesson that comes up for us to learn. So we will temporarily exit and go through like maybe a dark, scary wood. And then we're back in the field of flowers. It's never just like, I've but made now it to the field Uber, of flowers. More technicolor flowers. <laughs> Acid flowers. Yes. Um, <laughs> did you just say acid flowers? I did. <laughs> You're so funny. The schnozberries dish like schnozberries. Oh my gosh. Okay, I don't even know what that's from. I know you just quoted something. It was super troopers. I'm disappointed. Oh my god. Oh, <gasps> love that movie. It's so funny and painful. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So going through it is worth it. Yes. Yeah. But only in retrospect. Yeah. Once you have come through maybe a couple times of healing, what happens is instead of fearing the next time that you go through a lesson is you actually learn to look forward to it. And it's, it's not this big, scary thing anymore. And you can just move through it with greater ease instead of... Yes. Um, instead of pushing through it and, and efforting through it. So it, it changes the way you then live moving forward. Yes. Now when I feel myself resisting something and like not wanting to face something and then I go, oh yeah, oh, this will suck for a little while, but there'll be pizza involved and I'll be okay. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, going to talk to my coach and my BFF and... Harry Potter marathon weekend or what, you know, whatever I need it to be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Vanessa, is there anything else that um, our listeners need to know or that's weighing on your heart that you want to share? One time when I was working with teenagers, there's this girl who was supposed to go on an outing with us and she like wasn't there. So we went to find her because we were all going to go to the beach. This is really important. To get her in the van to go to the beach with us, I did the splits to make her get in the car. (laughs) And she did it. And then she went to the beach with us. I was like, if I do the splits, you have to get in the car. And she was like, okay. And then I was like, boom. And I did it. She's like, fuck, I have to go with you. And I'm like, yep, get in the car. (laughs) I know you weren't expecting a random story. I love that story. (laughs) I was not expecting that. I was expecting some like super like wisdom bomb. And then it's like, you do the splits. Oh my God. That's hilarious. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. So my, my last question for you, and this is a good one. So if you were to use a metaphor to describe yourself, what would it be? Like, I literally can't think of anything right now. 
Um, like I'm a carousel full of random wizardry and unexpected views who then pops out with something super profound. All right. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just picturing it right now. I know. And it's really, it's really full of, um, kooky, kooky things. I love that. The carousel of kookiness leading you to spiritual enlightenment and trauma healing. Writing all the different parts of Vanessa. Oh God, no. She went there, everybody. She went there right into the gutter. None of us are surprised. Oh my God. This is probably, <laughs> this is probably 100% the dirtiest minded podcast so far. Do I bring uh, it out in you? I wasn't trying to do anything like that. <laughs> I just want to be, to be fair, when I pictured it originally, it was innocent. It was like a hippogriff. You could write a hippogriff, except it, it's a hippogriff oh. in the Vanessa Carousel, but then it just went dirty. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Yes. Yes, you do bring it out in me. I didn't mean to. Blame it on you so that's the other thing about the carousel is it brings out everyone's fun parts shit i did it again <laughs> i did that one it brings out the fun that everyone wants to have that's what i meant to say rocco with your cocker <laughs> my face hurts okay guys so we are gonna close off the episode there I hope you enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> I love you guys. Thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions um, for myself or for Vanessa, please reach out. All of her. Oh, how do we get a hold of you? Instagram at Soul Amplified. Okay. You can DM me or you can email me, Vanessa at soulamplified.org. And, you know, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching and group coaching. And um, if you are into intuition, I have a quiz you can take to help yourself develop that more and learn kind of where you're at. And that's at enlightenedbosslady.com. Amazing. So those are my things. Perfect. Yes. Uh, all of those will be in the show notes. So make sure you connect with Vanessa because she's amazing. And we have so much fun together. And this is just like the tip of the Vanessa iceberg. So, <laughs> um, so make sure to go connect with her. Let us know what you think of the episode. If you have questions, again, reach out, let us know. We can always look at collaborating more in the future because we're both amazing and I, we, we love each other. So, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in guys. And I will see you on the next episode. Thank you for joining me today on the soul service podcast. Do you want to feel powerful, vibrant, and happy in your daily life? Get in on my free Walk Your Path to Power Challenge. Head on over and join me at AnastasiaBurtnick.com forward slash power. If you love what you heard today, I would be over the moon if you could leave me a five-star review and subscribe over on iTunes. I want to help as many people as I can, and I can't do it without your support. I'll see you on the next episode.